Welcome to another edition of the Rural Alliance UK podcast, episode 210, The Importance of Being De-Earnest. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside Anthony Fitzpatrick, who's questionably looking over his shoulder at that pronunciation, and Ashley Soden. How are you doing, boys? Doing okay, doing okay. <laughs> doing a lot better than Matt Nelson's right shoulder. I bet it's sore after catching that pass from uh, Nate Sudfeld. Yeah, doing good, cheers. All right. We are going to be covering, as always, the last week in lines. And that means looking back at week four of training camp. It means looking at preseason of game two versus the Jacksonville Jags. And also looking back at just the news and tidbits and what have you, as well as the press conferences as we come to the end of preseason here with only one game left to go. But let's start with a little bit of preamble. Our Discord channel is hitting its stride coming into the new season now. So it's a place you've got to be part of. It's a really uplifting and nice community of people talking about all sports pretty much all the way through the year. So if you're sports mad just as much as we are, come and join us. Links are in the live chats of YouTube and Twitch right now. College Football Podcast, Stan, I'm sure you're working on it right now. What are you talking about this week? Um, So the season starts this week. We're uh, we're officially into week zero now so me and ryan are going to be doing all our prep for the season so we've got our season prediction show we're going to be putting all our knowledge on the line we're going to be predicting everything from conference winners to the heisman winner all that good stuff uh we're also going to be releasing our teams for the start of the season so it's it's like one of the pff preseason team type things we give you a full team of players they're a mixture of draft sleepers players we like curious players you know that we're, we're interested in no, guys, for you to keep an eye out on during the season. I'm just finishing my team off at the minute. Um, and then we'll be previewing week zero as well. So we, we've got a lot going on this week. I'm looking forward to reading all the Spencer Rattler hype you have in there. Anyway, <laughs> let's move it on. <laughs> Two Don't years forget. ago, maybe. Yeah, I know. Tell me about Hey, he came back strong last year. He actually recovered some draft stock a little bit, maybe. It went from it went from undraftable to at least a third round prospect. Possibly. Anyway, please don't forget to like the episode, sub to the podcast, give us a rating and a review. I know everyone talks about it on every single show, on every single YouTube thing, but it does make a big difference, and that's why people talk about it. And you know, with the size that we are, it makes an even bigger difference to us. So thank you in advance for doing that. We are part of Lions Nation Unite. That's Herman Moore's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together. And they have a new Facebook group. It's going to be smashing during the season. So go and join them there. Facebook.com slash Lions Nation Unite. We're a Twitch affiliate. We're YouTube monetized. And there's a tip jar down below in the YouTube description. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to all the way through, would appreciate any uh, support to the show that you can provide. And there's a feedback form down there as well. If you've got any idea for content or suggestions or just some feedback, please do consider giving it a click down there and just letting us know. All right, boys, 
time for the news and there's a good amount of ins and outs on the roster this week with Jason Moore the wide receiver and safety Scott Nelson being signed unfortunately leaving us the wide receiver Trey Quinn with an injury settlement from IR Denzel Mims also was waived injured and he's reverted to our IR he is expected to sign an injury settlement and Mo Ibrahim uh, Ibrahim, I should say, the running back, has also been waived injured, unfortunately. Also this week, injured in camp and likely to miss the remainder of preseason, at least per Dan Campbell, are Jameson Williams, Ifati Melafonwu and Savion Smith. It's a real shame, boys, especially for those last three who, you know, in the case of Savion and Ify are in a battle to make the roster, Jamo obviously was not worrying about that too much. But disappointments especially for Ibrahim and Mims as well yeah 100% so I don't know on the last kind of two yesterday I mean uh on Dan's uh inside the Dan stream he was doing his 53 man prediction and we had we had a little discussion about like maybe we could sneak if he or save the onto like the PUP or the IR come cut downs to sort of keep him there because they were as you say both were battling to sort of be that safety free for depending on how you classify CJ GJ because obviously he's a slot guy but with the emergence of branch he's been playing more safety so maybe it's safety four but they were battling out and both unfortunately left the game around the same time of injuries so that explains to Scott Nelson it uh signing for obvious reasons and yeah for the other guys Mims probably the one I'm most well Mims and I are the ones I'm most disappointed to lose because Mims really had he had all the potential in the world, unfortunately, just couldn't couldn't stay healthy. Couldn't really land his second chance here. So maybe that was this was the last chance for him. For him and he's gonna have to go to new pastures, new and Mo. Obviously, we all had high hopes for him coming out of college. Such such a productive guy, power back, coming off the ACL, coming back with a thousand yards, and then unfortunately just gets injured in game one and was unable to wave it off. And now he's a free agent again. So hopefully he can get healthy and he gets a chance next season with someone in a camp to make an NFL roster because he deserves it. Like this guy was an absolute workhorse for Minnesota. He was the only reason they were really relevant from what I can remember. So it's unfortunate that he just never really got his chance this season. Yeah, it's just disappointment, but it's it's what happens in camp. Injuries happen, you know, and then, you know, you've just got to help the other guys step up and uh, take Take, you know, take advantage of the opportunity. I mean, in most cases, it's just upsetting because he's been through so much and he's always been able to fight and overcome it. I, I would expect him to see him back on the practice squad at some point. I, would, I don't think his story here is done just yet. You can still use him this season as and when he's healthy. Um, likely with the other guys as well, if he's Savion, if, if they don't make it through, then they're probably going to get back here, especially given the injury concerns. So... It's a shame, but some of these guys are injury prone, and you know, you've got to you've got to grind them hard to see whether they can deal with the rigors of a full season. If they can't even make it through camp, then it's kind of yeah, you, it's better to do it now than find out halfway through the season when they're missing games all the time and they're they're taking up a spot. So, yeah, it's a shame. As for JMO, yeah, it, it, it is a shame JMO's out, but I don't know how much he'd have played the other day. Um, it's he's got six weeks into the season to get ready, so. At this point, you know, we're not going to see him for six weeks anyhow. Just get healthy, get you back in the season, see what we can do. So, yeah, disappointing in some cases, but 
you know, the roster's going to come down next week. We're going to lose a lot of players anyhow. A lot of these guys may not have made it. So, you know, just got to keep keep banging on. Yeah, cut down day is only eight days away now. And, well, and we discussed doing a live show Tuesday next week. I don't know if that's too much of a commitment for you with college as well as this show. But, yeah, it's going to be a heavy day with us having to say goodbye to at least 37 players. So... It's going to be rough. But yeah, I'd, so I don't think Jason Moore is long for this roster, I have to say. But Scott Nelson interests me just with someone of that physical profile. I actually haven't done much research on him as to where he was last season, but he came from Wisconsin. Seattle. He was at Seattle. So Seattle. he played for games one and two. He actually played graded pretty well. I think I was looking at uh, so the ESN Dan's chat. I think he was 70s. So he graded about 77 overall, 70s and everything, but pass rush, which he only got a 60, and he had one blitz in game one. But other than that, so he's, he's a decent, intriguing option, obviously, athletic and scored well. He's kind of like, um, God, the guy, one of the, he was one of the calls we picked up a couple of weeks ago who also had like, in oh, it was uh, Tay Hayes, um, pre, in, who also graded quite well in limited snaps for New England last year, sort of in coverage and that. So it's another just intriguing guys showing some stuff and yeah we're taking a chance because we need him because if in Savion are unfortunately done so I'm int- I'm excited to see something out of him hopefully on Saturday the one saving grace and you only know this if you're a part of the famous Luke G discord is a uh, Luke G can no longer complain now that we've signed someone defensive for the roster so I'm, I'm glad for Luke that he can finally put his complaining to rest uh let's move on <laughs> to the rest of the other news and the first one is is a really lovely bit of news. Raymond Buddy Parker, player uh, winning one NFL championship with the Lions. His tenure as a player was 35 to 36. And coach of two Lions champions teams, his tenure between 1950 and 1956, was selected as a Hall of Fame finalist. He also coached the Chicago Cardinals and the Pittsburgh Steelers and finished with a coaching record of 107 to 76 to 9. Boys, absolute legend of the team. I must confess that my history knowledge is rather lacking. But, I mean, the man went and got himself another NFL championship appearance in that stretch with the Lions. And when you have a look at the number of coaches he had to fight off in order to get selected for this award, it shows just in what esteem he is regarded. Because Mike Shanahan was a part of that amongst others. And and they voted him above all of those guys. And... There's some other really big names on that list. Yeah, so um, I, I've, well, admittedly, all our history knowledge is lacking. If you remember our, the quiz, we can't, we didn't get many points in the first couple of rounds. All about the history, so it doesn't surprise me at all. But yeah, this is a guy who um, I know when I was reading about him, he revolutionised sort of the hurry up offense. He was the first guy to really introduce that kind of tempo to the modern offense. So definitely deserves to be there because everyone uses it now, like sort of going up tempo, especially in the, obviously the two-minute drills and that. So he's the first guy to introduce that. And obviously it's great to see because it's another historic line who might have gone underneath the radar and passed over by other people. He's finally kind of getting his moments in the sun and is getting recognised. It's quite cool to see. Yeah, a bit before my time, so can't really add anything there, but just well done. All right. Next bit of news is quite recent. Former running back for the Detroit Lions and second round pick Kerryon Johnson has obviously gone through his medical retirement. 
He has joined North Alabama as the director of player development, boys. It's a move for a well-liked player in this franchise. One of the He was the first guy for a long time to get a 100-yard rushing game. I think we're all pretty excited about him and had high hopes for him. And obviously, he finished his career elsewhere, and he was basically ruined by this franchise. It's nice to see him landing on his feet. Yeah, 100%. Like I was the one that picked up on this. I was just scrolling Twitter last night in bed, just listening, like watching YouTube and that. And I saw someone tweet about it and him reply and sort of, it's quite cool because obviously he's had the, he's been through all the NFL process, combine and all that. So for him to sort of be there as an advisor to all these young men, sort of how to best raise their profile for the NFL and go through the combine and such. It's quite a cool little move to him. And he, I think I remember, if I remember rightly, because he, yeah, he was here when we drafted Swift. He did sort of take Swift under his arm a bit and help him integrate into the team. So it's something that he had to start start off there and now he's finally got a form position and it's just nice to see him stick around football rather than sort of slink off into the background and fade out the public view kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's it, it's really good for him. You know, we, injuries just did for him here. It was a shame. It's Taylor's oldest time with so many of our draft picks, just never able to get healthy, never able to fulfil his potential. And it was... It was such a shame, but he's always been a stand-up guy. Everyone's always really liked him. And it's, you know, it's good that he's going to carry on playing football because I think he's got a lot to offer. Like you say, there'll be the experience he's had, you know, he'll be able to pass on all that knowledge to younger guys and just playing in the NFL, you know, even for a few years. You know, not many players get to do it. And for these guys to be able to learn off him now, it's going to be it's going to be big for them. And, you know, it's he's going to a good programme. North Alabama are a team, they've been sending a lot of talent up to the FBS recently. There's a lot of good players there. May even be an FBS team soon. So it's, you know, it's a good platform for him to start any, you know, a career into coaching or advising, whatever he wants to do. Um, so hopefully we'll see him sort of rise through the ranks pretty soon if that's what he wants to do. So I'm, I'm very happy for him. We've landed somewhere good. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was North Alabama where Broderick Martin started his career? Uh, I think you're right, yes. I'm, I'm pretty sure he spent three years there and then two years. We did it. We did it. I think, Western yeah. Kentucky. We, it's in our video. We did it. Yep, North Alabama, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, as as nothing in that really is there apart from you know they might have had a word with each other if Carry On still in the area, but I can't imagine there's any connection there really. But hey, whatever. Anyway, the final bit of news is that Inside the Den episode four dropped in the last seven days. This focused on the return to Allen Park for training camp and heavily featured Crystal Palace FC of the Premier League, or as I learned in the video, the Premier League. Um, what did he make of it, boys? It is every single episode is an absolute masterpiece of cinematography from the filming to the directing to the production. It's a fantastic thing to watch in of itself, but the content I thought was quite deep. It showed you quite a lot. It was very heavily JMO focused, I thought. It seemed like they wanted to perhaps answer some critics for him, I kind of thought. But also, it was quite nice to see um, Eze and Eze breaking it down for the Palace and Lions guys. What what did you make of what you saw from behind the scenes? 
yeah, I like the SA and SA stuff because obviously I have high hopes for Bina to sort of become our swing tackle at some point. And yeah, obviously I've got Crystal Palace's SA in my uh, fancy team and I'm hoping he gets me some points in a few minutes when they kick off. So it was quite nice to see, even though, yeah, the sort of Premier League, Premier League and all that, it was a bit... It was a bit crazy. And of all the teams, why why couldn't they pick Villa? Like we were over there. They've already they have a relationship. They commented on our 1982 documentary. So surely that would have been a high more high prof- profile team. Obviously, I'm saying all this with Tonga in cheek. Like would have been cool to watch if it was my team, but hey ho. But for me, the best part was the chanting on the Johnson uh trash talking because he quote tweeted someone saying that, like, oh, he's gonna be on points. Like, oh yeah, so you fans really want this, her sort of eye emojis. I'm hoping. This uh, that sort of being highlighted is going to step it up even more, and he's going to hopefully get Darno Mooney to swing a punch at him again and get ejected because that'd be quite funny to see live, to be honest. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. Unfortunately, I was at work when it dropped, so I was watching it on the tram home, just like this looks really cool. But yeah, I absolutely, I, I we all know what I'm like inside the den. I'm an information goblin, so me just sort of sitting there watching it for half an hour was absolutely great. No, it's enjoyable, like you say. Always, always a good watch inside the Dennis. You always get a good outlook in there. I loved all the stuff watching Taylor and his off-season workouts, and he's just he's just such a good guy. And it's it's interesting to see what he goes through and that, and you know, warmed up for him a lot over the years. So you get you get something nice inside that to the player. I love the stuff with JMO. You know, give JMO back in for Christ. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not going through it again this week, but you know, someone needs to back the kid and. Uh, He's, he's, he's going to come good for us. So, but yeah, it was, it was enjoyable overall. I'm expected to get one so quick after we waited team what months and months and months for the draft one, but yeah, good, good fun of good fun overall. Who is it? You've got his helmet stuck. Was it Kota? Oh God. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't one of the D one of the D linemen, weren't it? Ma- Martinez helped. Oh no, it wasn't Martinez. It was Rodrigo was helping him get his helmet off. It was, and was Corey, laughing in his face. It was Corey Durden. There we go. That was just two minutes of absolute theatre. That was. It was so. There's so much funny stuff in there. Generally, them just kind of having a good time and larking about in part. But then when it gets serious, it gets serious. And watching it through the preseason game one and just kind of reminding yourself of how they act on the sideline. And I forget sometimes that when they're not on the field, sometimes they they do totally switch off for a little bit. And it's quite refreshing to see just everything happening around them and they're kind of in their own sort of zen space if you know what i mean it's it's weird but i really like it hey at least at least someone didn't get uh, caught doing a barry sanders on the sideline am i the only one that remembers the infamous story of barry taking naps on the sideline between series no yes yes you're right yes <laughs> good point <laughs> all right let's move it on to the preseason game game two Jags 25, Lions 7, Lions go 1-1 one and one now in preseason. And uh, high-level takes, boys, about the game itself before we talk about the players themselves. Dan Campbell said it himself in the post-game presser that they never like to lose, whether it's preseason or not. And yes, it's for evaluation purposes, but he hates losing. And the Lions got totally blown away. I mean, 12 nothing at the half, one series put together for 7 early on in the second, but otherwise the Jags always seem to have one successful player at a three on offense and on defense. I mean, let me read to you the the series events for the Lions. Punt, 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 fumble, punt, punt, interception, 
end of half, punt, well, touchdown, punt, punt, punt. That is not good football. And it it was awful to watch on offense. I mean, I haven't seen anything quite so dire to watch since the, I don't know what, the Tim Boyle, David Blau days, or even before that, maybe the Chase Daniel days. It was that dire. Well, we only got 20 minutes of offense, so that, that that's kind of where your point is. When you, when you lose the time of possession battle, nearly 40 minutes to 20, you're asking for trouble. Can't sustain drives. Defense who's playing incredibly well just gets absolutely knackered, which is not fair on them because they played incredibly well those first three quarters and then they just, just got beaten and battered down. When you're down to your third or fourth string guys just getting ran at time after time after time after time. You know, that's going to happen. That's why the league got as big as it did. And and it was a shame because it, it hit some really, really good defensive performances. Offense just couldn't get no going. But, I mean, is it a surprise? I mean, I guess maybe not because 90% of the offense is already decided. We didn't play a lot of the starters. Most of your main weapons aren't out there. And it's going to be disjointed. It's going to be funny. You're going to have issues. Obviously, you shouldn't have that many issues, but you kind of figured it's going to be that way. The defense played better because more of its depth guys who slash starters as well are playing out there and play a lot better. So yeah, it it was disappointing on the offensive side of the ball really. Um, But defensively it's been good. Both games have been pretty good and and that's what you want to see. They're all fighting really hard in there because there's the more question marks about defense. There's more starting spots ready to be won and you kind of want that competition to go on. So yeah, it was hard to watch, but there was still good to take out of it. And as I said with Mike the other day, you, sometimes you've got to have games like this because a lot of the bad players have now made themselves known and you can get them out of your team and away from starting reps. And I think every team needs a game like this in preseason to weed out the chafe from the, from the good. So uh, overall, I can't complain too much. It is what it needed to be. It was. It was necessary. I, th- I think Ash, you're about to say chaff, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like, "Hang on, Boy, I but, saw it happening yeah. in your mind." I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> "But yeah, you know things are dire on offense when Mac Nelson is your fourth highest rated player by PFF on offense. You know things, even though to be to be fair to him, Jerry did raise the point. I think like I think it was about eighty percent of the pressures on the QB came from the interior." which really isn't good looking because coming into it, I thought pretty okay about the interior backups. It was like, Sawsdall's looking good. He looks good at right guard. They caution him at left guard now. They trust him. He's fine. Obaseeker, yeah, he's not exactly amazing, but you can trust like you can trust him in a pinch. He showed it last season. And then we got Graham to back up right guard and centre as like the first thing. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty solid about the interior offensive line. It's really... Who's going to be our swing tackle? Who's going to be sort of that offensive eight offensive lineman? Now I feel a bit even more shaky about the interior offensive line. It's we've got to touch wood and hope that we don't have the same situation we did last season where we have to be playing the new guard every single game for the first five, six weeks, because it's not going to look pretty at all. But just to say that there were some good, some good bits. Obviously, James Mitchell continues, continue to wow me. Like he made some good catches on that touchdown drive. Obviously, Cota caught the touchdown, but Anton Green made a really good play. Dylan Drummond made a really good play. So those three continued their battle for the sort of 
wide receiver five, six spots. There were some good bits to watch, but I completely agree with Ant. Most of the good stuff was on the defense. And at least now we don't have to keep hearing that stat of, oh, yeah, the uh, the 2008 Lions went 0-3 in the preseason and then went 0-16 in the regular season. We don't have to hear that anymore. We can sort of purge that from our minds and sort of move on to the Panthers game. Just to highlight quite how unbalanced this game was, the Lions had a net total offensive yardage of 131 yards to the Jacksonville 399 uh, so the Lions threw for 96 net yards with Sudfeld going 9 of 18 for 80 and a touchdown and an interception. And Teddy being ganked after just 11 attempts, completing 5 for 34 yards. Rushing wise, it was even worse. 35 yards on 19 carries. That did include minus 8 on Bridgewater when there was a fumble due to an offensive lineman mix up. Pick of the two there. Jermar Jefferson, 6 for 16, and Benny Snell, 3 for 15. Craig Reynolds had a horrible day behind a terrible offensive line. Eight carries for 13 yards, and a long of six meant he was 7 for 7 on the other carries. Receiving-wise, there was good and there was bad. I guess Dylan Drummond's 2 of 5 for 29. Craig Reynolds, 4 of 6 for 29. Anton Green, 1 of 1 for 18. James Mitchell, 2 of 2 for 15. And Chase Gota getting the sole touchdown, 2 of 5. First two of five for nine and a touchdown, although he had a really nice catch on the sideline ruled out on a coach's challenge. He bobbled the ball as he was going out of bounds. Uh, I mentioned earlier that there was a fumble by Bridgewater, which was really unfortunate. I mean, the defensive lineman was at him before the handoff took place, which is incredible, really. But you said it was a better day on defense and looking at the box score, Jack Campbell led the day on defense with seven tackles. James Houston, Brandon Joseph, and Corey Durden all had six. Sacks-wise, the Lions had three. There was one shared between Pascal and Benito Jones, and otherwise there was one for John Kaminsky and one for James Houston. But Houston really stole the show, I think, on defense, lads, with, apart from that one sack, another three tackles for a loss. And we said before the game that Houston wasn't on the bubble, but if he wanted to play some more significant snaps in this coming season, especially in this sand position that he's been training in, he better show that he can play the run a bit better. And man, did he show that in a team that was not really performing around him, generally speaking, say that on offense, the defense did stand up a bit, but it still had the odd bad play here or there, which is why Jacksonville could put drives together. But he was constantly someone putting the Jags behind the sticks. Yeah, and... To expand that even more, he showed stuff in coverage. So yeah, okay, he allowed one reception on one target, but it was for minus two yards. Like he showed in this game that he's so he's really grown to a well-rounded sort of three-down player, which as you said, we're hoping for. Obviously, played off ball linebacker at Florida before he moved, and then got moved to edge rusher by Dion Sanders. But to see him sort of use that sort of know that he's got that pass rush and then build on the other stuff to become that three down player we all want him to be was really encouraging to see and that's not even talking about like the other linebackers who really showed out so obviously Germ had a really good game especially in coverage kind of making up for last week where he gave up the touchdown with decent coverage but it was a mismatch so he's really showed up today uh, again uh, again in coverage 78 grade and then Malcolm having a nearly 91 grade, just all-round great. I know, obviously, he's sort of been pushed back by the addition of Campbell, AA getting moved to his wheel position, but 
he's easily someone that you can give like a Lotus and Apps to if you need to on defense in the regular season. And he'll show out. It's just managing those snaps because that's what happened to him last year. He just played too much and it caught up with him. Now we're able to sort of keep him fresh and the other linebackers fresh. And it'll show he'll just hopefully he'll build on last season. Obviously, we all had hopes for him coming down preseason, him showing up, everyone else, Nevet Room, Shepard and to say, I really don't want to play him, but come on, guys, he's beating you guys out. So hopefully we can keep that going and have a really good four-man rotation just to keep that linebacker room fresh because that's the most difficult position on defence. So having four guys who can all play, keep them fresh and keep rotating, we're going to be able to hopefully have a really good linebacking core. And what did he make out of the, well, the players that played well, because it was very easy to pick out players who did badly, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Who had some really good games for you? Who elevated their stock? Quite a few on defence. I mean, you'd look at the D-line, Kamish was the guy there. I don't even know why he's playing this many snaps in preseason, but he just continues to get better and better and better. And, like, you know, <laughs> he's making it tough for them because you're going to have to sacrifice an Aquara brother at this point because Kamish ain't going nowhere. Your starters ain't going nowhere. Houston ain't going nowhere. You can't carry that many guys, but... I mean, the amount of plays he made in a row, you know, there's the one in run defense and the next play is turnover on downs because he bats a pass down. You know, you're getting tackles for loss from him. I don't know why the Falcons let him go. I don't know what they did with him, but it was to our benefit. He he just balled out. And, you know, he's not afraid to go into preseason and show it again, him and Malcolm both. Neither really should be playing at this point. Neither of them's got a lick of anything to prove that they belong in this first team and both of them are going out there been ultimate pros making big plays and then you get into the secondary and you just look at the secondary depth guys and it's like the guys are really really fighting hard for those depth spaces because obviously we've invested heavily so many of these guys are already locked in and locked down there's only a few positions you can play for I mean you look at safety Brandon Joseph's coming out his shell now he's making more plays he's looking really good especially in coverage which was kind of some of his issue uh, in college especially his last couple of years at Notre Dame where he had issues he's looking a lot better there and then you're looking at the two corners, aren't you? I mean, you're looking at Stalin and Gilly, who are just playing out their absolute freaking minds at this moment in time, to the point where you kind of want to take both of them into this season, <laughs> even if it means you're cutting an established guy in front of them, because we've all seen, it doesn't matter if they're undrafted, you've seen with Jerry, they can come in and they can make really big impacts on this team. I mean... Starling seems to be the more natural at the minute, and obviously he's just contributing all over the field, special teams, corner, all sorts. You know, everything you're asking of him, returner, he can do. But then Gilmore, you look at, and you just when you're thinking, ah, that's it, he's done. He's just he's just fallen behind the eight ball a bit. He pulls himself back up again, and he starts making more plays. And you know, it was it was really impressive how he recovered from mistakes on on the day. You know, these are just two guys just going out there giving everything they absolutely have. So, you know, the secondary depth guys really did themselves proud and they're going to give, you know, Aaron Glenn a huge headache and Dan Campbell as to who they keep going forward, um, which is great to see. But I just thought they were good everywhere. I thought there were very few people on defense who I was really annoyed at after the end of this game. I mean, going all over, everyone did. Well, Corey Durden did really well, you know, and... I haven't said much about him, 
but he's just quietly gone about his business and he's making plays. He's making a case. Obviously, he's his his best shot is practice squads, and you know he's he's too far down the chart at the minute. But there's something there with him um, that you can develop over time, just in case something goes wrong, in case you get injuries. For me, he's shown that he can he can definitely provide something here, and I keep him. So. There were there were very few players who didn't impress me on there, and I can understand why the effort level went down. Because like I say you're out there for forty minutes. That's not fair. You, you know you you can't do that and expect them to carry on playing. It was the telltale sign of Patricia's teams couldn't stay on the goddamn field. These one couldn't. So defense just clap. You did very well. Don't care if you gave the points up. You put in some really good performances. Anything you liked from the offensive guys as well? Kota, Kota was really the one who stood out. He did what he needed to. He showed that he can do work in the return game. I mean, obviously, just special teams was really good when it came to the returners, but he showed he got a bit of ingenuity, a bit of nous about his return skills there. And then, more importantly, as a receiver, he catched the ball, which, unfortunately, some of his compadres, like Trinity Benson, did not do that day. You can't let the opportunity slip through your fingers in these games. You've got to catch. You've got to show that in situations of high leverage, for them, this is as high leverage as it gets, um, that you can do it. And he was the one guy who went out there and did really well. So I was impressed with Kota. He's at the top of this the little gaggle of wide receivers we've got fighting to get on the roster. He, he's at the top at the minute, and I'd be giving him some serious reps in week three, seeing how much he can handle if this is a repetitive thing with him. Because he's been working his way up at the minute, so give him a shot. Absolutely fine. Um, I mean, the offensive line, there wasn't much good to talk about. I thought Eze looked good at what I saw of him. Eze was dominating his guys. He was performing really well. There were a few little bits here, but given the rest of them, the rest of them were absolute trash. And it was just, it was just rotten. Um, but yeah, outside, it was just, it was, it was just a tough day. I felt really sorry for the guys on offense. The running backs, especially, got a hide in to nothing. I mean, how are you meant to show yourself behind that sort of atrocious blocking? I love what Jamar did, especially just before the touchdown. Two big runs up the middle, up the gut, powered them up to the one. The pass pro on the touchdown pass was really good. But like on nearly every other snap he had, he's getting hit in the backfield, like two, three yards behind the line. So did, you know, so did the rest of them. I mean, I, I can't single him out. All three of them. Snell was getting hit behind the line, you know. Reynolds was getting hit behind the line. These guys are fighting for roster spots. And when their offensive line are letting them down, it really annoys me because I can see... NFL players, at least rotational guys, in all of these, in all of them, I really can. And it's just annoying that you don't get to see them see it. So, yeah, Kova did well, Eze did well. The running backs, I thought, did well in the circumstance. But overall, it was just that line. When the line doesn't work, everything falls apart. What about some of your highlights? Ash, I know you've mentioned some of them already, but anyone else you want to give some flowers to? Well, obviously, I know... And it's just picked out Kota, but on the same drive, Green and Drummond. So th- those three were obviously our starting three at wide right receiver. And all of them made plays. Obviously, Kota got the touchdown, but if I remember rightly, there was a third and long, and Green caught his like one reception to convert that. Drummond made a play on that as well. 
they made the most of what they could of the sort of bad quarterback play. I know Teddy doesn't have, really have the connection with them, which led to a lot of like off-target passes. And Sudfeld is just Sudfeld. His most accurate throwing gets offensive linemen's backs, it seems. But out of those, like, those three receivers, really good. And I'm surprised that didn't pick up on him since he's his guy. But Jamar, I know Craig got the most of the carries, and then Snell really showed that in the fourth quarter. But when Jam- Jamar got more yards after contact than he did actual rushing yards, he made the most kind of him getting the ball. Like it doesn't really show up on the box score unless you look at the advanced stats. But he did that. And I think I know everyone, I love Starling Thomas, and he's probably got a kick turn job. But I actually didn't mind Jamar's like kick return and either. Like he showed some stuff there. He's really, I think he's actually elevated his case to be that RB3 tiny bit in this game. I know everyone I can see like Matt frowning about it and being like a bit like no, but like it was more that I thought that and I'm pretty pretty, exactly yeah yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that I did highlight all his work on touchdown run. Yeah. Yeah Yeah, he did. (laughs) I was just confused that you said and and picking up. Yeah I thought he spent at least a minute on him. Yeah, is my mic turned off? I, I, I don't know. It's no, no, <laughs> no, it's probably my brain just doing like a thing, it's going like ADHD and just looking somewhere else. I was probably looking no, at no, it, no. but yeah, it, it happens. It happens. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, for myself, I'm going to throw some flowers to some guys who have oft been uh, lambasted on this show, and especially given the awful play happening around them. I really thought it was a good day for both Matt Nelson and Jermaine Effetti. Because all of the offensive line problems were not going through them. Nothing was happening outside the tackles. All of the pressure, almost all of it on that starting group, was coming through Brad Cecil and those interior guys. Cecil had an absolutely terrible day, and I hate to hate on him, because I really like him as a person. He's a stand-up guy. You read about his story, and it's really uplifting and inspiring. But he was atrocious, and... Bobby Hart and Colby Sawstall had really bad days on the interior. And I believe in Colby. Go and watch our individual podcast that me and Ant did, breaking down Colby's tape. I believe in that guy. But on that particular day, Hart, Sawstall and Cecil all got it terribly, terribly wrong. They were all at sea. And I thought that Nelson and Effetti held their own, but... When you can go through the middle and don't have to go around the outside, it kind of means that your job is going to get a bit easier because they're just not going to even try and go around you. So it's it's one of those that's kind of hard to judge because did they do well or were they just taking the path of least resistance? I will say that I thought they held their own. So I want to see a bit more of the same. I don't think either of them separated themselves from each other in the battle for offensive linemen eight and nine. But there we go. I mean, they don't often get their flowers. It might be the only time this season, but there we go. That's PFF box score watching at its finest. That's that's, that's, that's going through... Wait, wait. Ash, back me up that I said it during the coverage that we did on Saturday. He did. He did say that, and to be, and also defend him, I've literally got an offensive face. They weren't the highest graded tackles. That was Ryan's quota, no, but yeah, but it's... they didn't play well. I'm, I'm not having that. They did not. They did play, play well. well. No, they didn't. Go Nelson gave up. Tape. Nelson gave up at least two where he nearly got in. Uh, um, Sudfeld killed. So I'm I'm not having that. Nelson, that, that Nelson was... did give up two pressures. That is correct. I still think he had a good game. I can still remember them. That's why you know there's the most you got. To, so I said it earlier, and then I know ants. Uh, no, Matt said it in the chat, uh, the YouTube chat. 
most of the pressure came from the interior. It's something like 10 out of the 14 pressures came from the interior. So, okay, Nelson had the other two. That means Efedi, who's moved to left tackle this week, didn't, I think he gave up one, if that. That's pretty good from someone that's like, remember when we when we signed him, I was a bit like, eh, I don't really know. I really came around him and I'm having him over Matt Nell. If I had to pick the 53 right now, Brad rang me up and said, okay, we want your pin on it. I'm putting the Fed in over Matt Nelson. I know Matt Nelson's 100%. got the six, six offensive lineman job, but a Fed just offers you more stability. And that's, and I keep saying it, Prim James and Gustream and that, and in my questions to POD and everyone, this is a sort of win now season. You want stability. A Fed gives you that. As much as I love Abina, and he really had a really good day in pass blocking to, uh, on, in the game, still needs a bit of work. I'm sticking on the practice squad if I can. And then hopefully next year, with that other, with another season of refinement under Hank, then you can bring him out and he can be that sort of swing tackle role. But right now I'm keeping Afedi. They both had, Afedi especially, had a really good game. You didn't really see much from that left-hand side. And I said it on stream as well. It was the right-hand side that was the problem this game. Last game, it was the left-hand side where Nelson was. Uh, to this game where you had Afedi and Sawsdell as a left tackle and left guard. They actually did pretty well. I'm also going to give some flowers to Jamar as well. I thought that, I mean, he was getting contacted. I have no stats to back this up. It feels like he was getting contacted two yards behind the line of scrimmage every single time he touched the ball. And the fact that he managed to get positive yardage out of his carries was exceptional to me. His one cut little misses and what have you, little shaking him off with a drop of the shoulder. I thought he was super impressive. So to come back having not played in game one, and do that, I thought was like, right, you've given yourself a shot. Now, preseason game three is absolutely massive for Jamar because Jamar can make this roster. And I did not think I could say that seven days ago, but he is slowly getting back there. And his vision is potentially the best of any running back we have. Like the way that he cuts, it's just that he so often only gets reps behind the second offensive line. We don't actually give him ahead of steam to use that vision when he's going at full speed. We put him behind the sticks already by get it, giving him a crap interior offensive line to go behind. So I'd love to see Jamar make this roster, go behind that first team offensive line and really show us what he can do. Because the last time he did that, he had some exceptional games in, well, that's two years ago now, but it was fantastic before he got injured. So I believe in Jamar. I believe he can make this roster. I do think it's a battle between him and Jason. I only take one. So how important is a fullback to you is a really, really big question here. Uh, going on to defensive flowers, I mean, how can you not pick Houston? Uh, but the other guy for me that I want to pick out, because it's someone who has fallen down the depth chart by inertia, I think. And, you know, a former uh, heralded captain of the team. This is your team, man. Tracy Walker came in and had a really good game, I thought, on that back end. He was cleaning up stuff, nice PBU to force the interception. He had it in his hands, it was knocked away. I thought he did some really good work. It hasn't been the best camp for him, not because he's done badly, but because Gardner-Johnson and um, Branch have just been so good, and Kirby's been fantastic, that he's not starting at the moment, and yet he's one of the most highly paid players on the team. So it was important for him to go out there and put some good work in, and I was impressed by that. Uh, the other players, it's those young corners. They may not be graded highly, but Gilmore and Starling 
Like, well done, guys. Especially Gilmore. Like, Starling's had plenty of flowers in this training camp period. But Gilmore went out there and had pretty much perfect coverage in the rep where he got beaten over the top of him for the touchdown. It was less than half a step short of where he needed to be. His instincts were really good, just didn't quite get there in time. We'll get onto it, but in the in the presses after the game, he was like, I should have had a pick on that play. Like, that should be mine. And it's great to see that confidence. But to come back from that, lesser men would be going into their shell, questioning themselves, getting a bit slower, thinking about it too much. He went out there and got a hell of a PBU straight after that. Ended up getting a pick as well. Like, the resilience he showed to go out there from... You know, what could be an awful moment? It could tank other people. See, that could be the end of camp for you. Like, if you let that get to your head, from where he is right now, he could be done. He could get cut. And he responded in that way. And I'm like, man, the guy's got a backbone. Like, that's that's massive for him. So really pleased with that. Because outside corners looking, you know, pretty thin, boys. And it looks like we've got some quality backups in the UDFA class. I couldn't be more stoked. Yeah, 100%. And that's the one position we really need backups off uh, on the defense. It has changed from being the sort of backup D tackle to outside corner. That's the issue, the place of worry for me because we've got Jerry, we've got Sutton, we've got Will Harris, and we've got Starling. But until Mosley comes off PUP, we need another guy there. And it really is becoming Gilly is going to be on the 53 for me. Because you said, he gave up that big reception two plays later, exact same play type. He forces the incompletion out aside from Brandon Joseph. And I think it was, who's the other one? Uh, and Khalil Dorsey. He is the only other player on our defense to force an incompletion. Everyone else gave up pretty much like 100% of the tar- their targets thrown that way. So for someone who coming into camp before, oh yeah, maybe it's a bit of nepotism because he's got an older brother who used to be the best core in the league, showed some stuff at Marshall, but he's a bit small. Should be, He might be in the slot. He's had this, he, he's come out and absolutely balled out and shown week on week why he deserves to be here. And he's improved. Like, yeah, maybe he needs to put on a bit more muscle mass to really hold up against some of the outside receivers we're going to be facing. Like, I don't want to probably stick him on DK Metcalf anytime soon, but who else, like, who wants does to anyone who yeah. does exactly who wants to go up against DK Metcalf? So yeah, he really like I was really impressed with him as well. And as I said on and I said on yesterday on Dan's show, I'd have him on the 53 while Mosley's getting back from PUP. And if he comes back and he's showed out, I'm more likely to cut someone at like someone else up front than or in the linebacker room than I am cutting him because you need good corners in this league. It's a coverage league, as much as P- that's, that's what PFF says, it's coverage. Is they more important than pass rush? We've already got that good, damn good pass rush now. We've got a really good D line. Now it's time to show up that coverage, which is the focus of this offseason. And he's hopefully going to be a part of that. Let's move on to perhaps whose stock fell, not to dog too many guys, but who was perhaps on the bubble who might now find themselves out of contention, who needed a good day and didn't quite deliver or who was you know seemingly safe who now might find themselves in the conversation come the end of cutdowns for you guys Benson like I was a big sort of advocate for Benson because he can do stuff on special teams and he's got that egg style of invested in him 
but he just unfortunately he hasn't been healthy this offseason either. And as put it earlier, he didn't really make the most of his opportunities. So he's pretty much firm me off there now. Like I would have given him like a five, ten percent chance maybe to be our sort of five receiver five six because of the special teams. And he doesn't have a chance for me anymore. And then unfortunately the other guy is and I hate it because obviously we just bigged up his cousin. It'd be nice to have that sort of another family story. But Brady Breeze, like, did okay in run defense, but outside of that, didn't really do that much else. And he was someone that we would, you would hope would step up with Iffy and Savion out. He's pretty much uncontested. He would, would have been uncontested at that safety three four spot because who else did we have there really? But for him to not really show that much outside of maybe run defense and some special teams, we need someone with a bit more like coverage right now, I think, in that back end, as I've just said a couple of minutes ago. So he's someone that unfortunately stocked down a bit for me. Um, just trying to think off the top of my head. Kabinda screwed himself. He can't catch. He's, I think he's done. I think his conversation is, is, is about over. I know they love him, but if you're going to keep him, you're going to need to keep him in some form of receiving capacity as well as being a fullback. And, you know, when you've got stones, you've got hands that are like concrete, you can't catch. That's going to be a big problem. And I think it's just been a problem throughout this preseason. So issues there with him, I didn't think he had a great one. And then, again, I'm going to come back to him. And I talked about consistency here. And Julian did nothing. I know he had the sack taken off by the penalty, but I want to see consistency week in, week out. That's the only way I'm going to trust you to make this roster is if you could show me that you can do it on a weekly basis. And, you know, it was just very quiet this week again. There was a missed tackle in there that I remember very clearly as well. And it's just like, come on, man, just give me two weeks back to back. Give me something I can believe in you properly for. And it's... It's just not happening. So Julian's back on the gone list again. And then I think it was, you know, you're looking in the corner units, Chase. I think Chase is struggling because of the two other guys, the younger, they're performing better all throughout the team. You know, we, we could have thought seeing Chase maybe getting on this team. Um, I think I think he's gonna be in trouble just because of all the young guys behind him. So yeah, it was it wasn't good for Chase either. Mm-hmm. And then you'd probably go for most of the offense. Titans didn't really do a great deal, so no one's going to break into that top three. The offensive line was still struggling to figure out who the depth guy's going to be. Um, so it just wasn't a good day for them all talk because they just faulted up the rest of the offense. So there were a few who didn't have good days. So on defense for me, I'm going to pick almost the entirety of the interior of the defensive line. I just... I just thought that we really struggled to hold the point of attack. And when they came running at us, we seemed to be about two yards deep come the point of attack. It just it just wasn't quite as explosive and aggressive as I wanted to be. And part of that is how long we're on the field. It's true. That hurts them. But it was happening fairly early on in the game as well. It's not like it was all happening come the end. And, you know, I didn't think... Roderick had a great game. I didn't see anything terribly wrong with what he did. It just, he wasn't a disruptive force. Levi wasn't a disruptive force. Durden was someone who did a little better and and fair play to him and picked him out before. But 
just all these guys kind of did really nothing to to make life difficult for the running backs. And that's how you end up with 145 yards against you in that respect. Uh, offensively, I mean, I've had a go at the interior of the offensive line. What, what more can I do there? Depth wide receivers also didn't really do themselves any favours either. So that's it for, for that game. Uh, it wasn't the best, but we certainly learned a lot about the entire roster. So valuable nonetheless let's get into training camp and from the last uh week or so we've had three days one pre-joint practices and two joint practices so august 14th we saw for the first time in a while vitae and glasgow rotating at right guard and that meant that for the first time colby Salstall was repping at left guard when asked later on he said he thought it was because they were expressing confidence in his ability to play at right guard and not having mastered the position, but at least doing better there. We also saw Matt Nelson and Jermaine Effetti swapped for the first time. So Nelson coming to right guard and Effetti, uh, sorry, left ta- uh, right tackle and Effetti going to left tackle, although Nelson was still being preferred as the sixth offensive lineman in heavy sets. Bridgewater was getting extra work in with the young guys after practice, which included JMO and Dylan Drummond. Branch had another exceptional day, apparently, and in red zone drills, Will Harris got a sack. And after that, Amon Rasmus Brown and JMO spent time at punt returner, which now all Britons know is called shagging balls. I I now think if I've actually listened to a few baseball broadcasts, I have I have heard that before, but reading it on uh, POD was jarring shall we say because it means something very different over here brent says wasn't broderick martin getting double teamed a lot he was that is absolutely true but let me tell you right now brent he's gonna face that in the nfl as well so gotta be able to make plays in that circumstance and he'll come on i believe in broderick very very much he will develop his skills but it was still disappointing to see that he he couldn't do it in that circumstance uh, so yeah, Amaras and Brown and JMO shagging balls. And then <laughs> August the 16th was the first day of joint practices against the Jags. Amaras and Brown and JMO, coincidentally the guys shagging balls, um, did wind up injured in this day, which is a bit of a shame. But it did allow Khalif Raymond to come into his own with the ones. There was one rep in particular where he crossed the entire field for a 30-yard game, but apparently he was absolutely unplayable in this day. The run games really showed up for the first time as well in basically the entire off-season program. Ragnar returned at centre and it really allowed Gibbs and Montgomery to have some big success. Taylor Decker for the first time actually found himself in some trouble in practice. So him versus Josh Allen was apparently a sight to behold with a, a good battle the way neither party claiming victory. And Goff unfortunately had one of his worst practice days in this off-season including one notable rep where Devin Lloyd went up to grab an interception when he underthrew Khalif Raymond. Trevor Lawrence put the Lions to the sword early on. He got three touchdowns in six plays during red zone drills. And then in 11 on 11s, Calvin Ridley burned Jerry Jacobs for a 50-yard touchdown where Jerry gave up on the rep, which is not what you come to expect or hear from Jerry. But there we go. Uh, the Lions apparently did hit back, though, later on in practice with Gardner-Johnson forcing two forced fumbles, Sutton and Rodrigo getting interceptions and Branch getting two 
past breakups. The second joint practice day was done without pads, which is weird. Why would you schedule joint practices and have basically walkthroughs? I've not made any comments about this because I just don't believe that you learn enough through these reps, unfortunately. Boys, one day to look back on for joint practices and the day before that, interesting to read about the swapping of those offensive linemen in the starters and the second team. And Amon Russell Brown and Jamo getting some time at punt returner. They're clearly trying everything to get a bit of juice there. And then good to hear about Raymond coming in with the ones and doing some good work, but a bit worrying to hear about how much success Lawrence had, even though it was in red zone drills. It seems like he put us to the sword quite early on. Well, it kind of makes sense. So as much as we love Jerry, it's kind of a mismatch with Calvin Ridley. Like this is a guy, this is a guy who is a wide receiver one in this league. And it kind of makes sense. Like as much as we love Jerry, he's he's a cornerback too in this league. Like he's good for matching up against your physical receivers like your Adam Feelings and that, but someone like a Ridley who is good at everything, has the speed and that, he is probably gonna get burned at some points. So it kind of makes sense. And Lawrence dicing this up again, it makes sense. Like this, Lawrence is a top ten quarterback, and as much as I hate to say it, as he's a former Clemson Tiger, he is an ascending QB in this league. And Doug Peterson is probably going to get something good out of him this season. So it makes sense, and it, I guess it was also just sign of things to come that their scheme was adjusted from last season, and they know how to beat us now. Showed in the in the joint practice, and it showed on the field. So. It's a learning experience for us, kind of bury the tape, take what you can from it, and then move on to next week where we have to face a bogey team. I mean, it's training. You have good days and you have bad days. You know, it's the whole point of training. I mean, I think we seem to forget the defence has a lot of talent, but it's not a unit yet. You've got a lot of new vets in there. You've got a lot of new rookies in the building. You've got a, rookie, a lot of rookies still learning. They've still not found their identity. And when you're coming up against an offense that has Lawrence, who's installed and settled, you know, you've got Travis Etienne, you've got Tank, who you saw how good Tank was, massively disrespected out of college, bless him, but you've got Calvin Ridley, you've got receivers they spent nearly $100 million on last year. You know, you've got a stable enough offensive line. You're coming up against a good offensive unit with a an elite quarterback behind it. So your defense is going to struggle. It, it's the whole point of this. You know, you go away, you lick your wounds, as Ash said, you make your notes and you come back and you look better. And I know it wasn't the first string they were against the other day, but, you know, for the most part, they came out. They looked pretty good. They weren't overwhelmed. It was just sheer minutes on the field that really did for them. So, yeah, I, I'm not really concerned at all. The, the defense is going to take time to gel. We're not. It's not just going to go out there and be a top ten unit week one. It, it just simply is not going to happen. The more reps they get, the better it'll get. So you're going to have time to bet him. But the offense still looked pretty good. You know, let me say, Goff had some bad days, but again, it's practice. I don't really care. They've got, they've got a really good defense. They've invested a lot in defense as well. Again, they spent a lot of money in the D-line. They drafted Devin Lloyd last year, who's just a complete stud. The secondary, they spent a ton of money on. And, you know, they they were a team, you know, sort of like us, playoffs and around kind of caliber who are an ascending young side. So, you know, I don't really mind if it's 50-50 and you struggle a bit more in practice. That's That's fine. We lick them when it matters in the season. That's all that ca- that's all that matters. <laughs> you lick them in season. and don't give a fuck what happens in training. 
And with that, we'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to the press conferences, as we always do to finish. And I'll throw this out there to the people in the live chat. If you've got any questions for us, I'll pop them in at the end of the show, just at Rural Alliance UK in the live chats, and I'll see them. All right, let's get on with this. So Jameson Williams is the first one up on August 14. Uh, At this point, not injured, I will remind you guys. So he said, on the first preseason game, that's the first number of uh, the first time I played that number of reps in eighteen months. So it felt really good in terms of the the kick return for more pump return for Maurice. He said uh, that felt really good, uh, full of joy for him. Amros and Brown then interrupts the interview, asks what it's like to work with Amros and Brown. He says it's great to play with him. It's going to be scary when we're together on the field. Uh, but then Jameson goes on to say he feels like he's made progress every day. He feels no pressure that he was born for this. He said it was big respect from someone like him, referring to Teddy, who's been in the league for half my age when it came to Teddy talking about him and and how much of a a guy he's going to be. Jameson said, I know the eyes are on me, but I want the eyes on me. If the eyes aren't on me, I ain't doing it right. I feel those eyes, but it doesn't bother me. That's not pressure in, in the way that he sees things anyway. Uh, and he's absolutely right for for an aside. You know, he uh, if people aren't watching what he's doing as a first round pick, it's probably because he's flamed out. So you know, he he recognizes exactly what it's going to do to him and how he needs to respond. And finally, he says, "I treat preseason and how I treat training like it's a regular season game. I go out a hundred percent running my routes. I'm going to miss a couple of games in terms of the ban, but obviously now we know in terms of injury as well." Uh, so he said, I need to make sure that I'm getting it right now. How ironic that he then is going to miss some time injury wise with him saying how important it was for him to be out there. Boys, gonna stop there because it's quite interesting just to take JMO in isolation. Such he's not feeling the pressure, but others are certainly cranking it up. And this injury isn't going to help. And I know that. I think we three are on the same page when it comes to JMO, uh, which listening to other podcasts in our space, I think we're unique in saying it, that he's going to be fine. I, I don't, maybe, maybe you're not on the same page as me, but I know Ant basically just said this. Jamo's going to be fine. What, what, what do you make of it, Ash? I think he's going to be fine too. Wait, and... I don't want to play like the sort of young card, but I know that's one thing that's rubbing some people the wrong way is the whole sort of, to call it the flexor personality where he posts a lot about his cars and his shoes and that. That's just how some people around my age like to be. They like to do all that. I don't. I like posting random memes and videos of me singing along to stuff. That's what floats my boat. What floats JMOs is posing like a rap star with Lamborghinis and $10,000 Nike Air Force Ones and stuff. And I know, but I know it rubs some people the wrong way. It's just how he likes to reflect his personality. But I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, the injuries are annoying. The sort of drops are annoying. But he's going to get there. Like, worst, worst, worst I see him going to be, and to still kind of resist thunder, he's going to be like a Will Fuller. Yeah, Will Fuller had games where he had like five targets, didn't catch anything. But the next game, he'd get uh, get five targets, catch four of them for like 200 yards and three touchdowns. Like He destroyed us more than enough times. Exactly. It's like if that's Jamo's worst, someone who can do that, 
defenses are still going to respect that because there's that element. They could be there's always going to be that element that could be the week he goes off. So they have to game plan for that. They have to game plan for Amon Ra. They have to game plan for Gibbs and Monte. They have to game plan for Laporta. That's going to leave other players like Josh Reynolds, Khalif, Marvin Jones Jr. If Drummond or Kosa make it, then Brock Wright, everyone else to sort of ball out. It's just going to be, it's always going to be that other factor. So I'm completely fine with J-Mo and to be fair, like him having the mentorship of Teddy who probably speaks his language to put it in inverted commas, someone that just gets him better than a Goff can or an Amon Ra, someone like that just sees him eye to eye will help him a lot. I know obviously there's the whole thing that you can't be on when it comes to after cut downs, he's on the suspended list. He can't even get medical treatment here. I won't be surprised if him and Teddy are having like weekly, like daily phone calls, texts and all that to make sure they're on the same page because that's what part of the reason Teddy was brought in. Obviously, he's there to upgrade on Sudfeld and give us more of a chance if touch wood, anything happens to golf. But he's also there because he could be that one guy to sort of fully get through to JMO and just help him just have that little last switch turn on his head and suddenly he comes back week seven and God help those secondaries like I'm looking forward to Monday night football where he's had another week under him. He's fully back. It's on. Uh, the Raiders are coming here and their secondary is not very good. I can see some things happening. And the JMO debate, I know that you've spoken on him already, but he he talks the talk. And I think I think I've seen him walk the walk more than once in this preseason. And Maybe the box score isn't what people want out of him right now, but I've seen more than enough catches in preseason of maybe think he's going to turn out absolutely fine. I mean, I just want to remind those out there that he's been eligible for what? Seven NFL games, was it last year, that he had back after his injury? This is a kid who has been available for seven games and was coming back off a serious injury. You cannot call him a bust. You cannot rag on him and say that he's a waste of time or anything like that. He's not missed any goddamn time. And it's it's very easy. There's a very easy reason why JMO's getting picked on. There are two groups of people who are picking on JMO, and it's very easy to weed them out. One, opposition fans. Why are they trying to label him a bust? Because they're scared of him. Because they know damn well that when he's on form, he's playing well, he will absolutely rip their Tim Pot little teams to shreds, especially in the NFC North. And two, that morbid group of Detroit Lions fans who just love to moan. 97.1. All those who thrive off misery in Detroit. They would love nothing more. It would give them a big, raging hard-on for Jameson Williams to fail so they can say, Brad Holmes sucks at drafting, the Lions suck, we're going into another age where the Lions suck again. It's their bread and butter. It's where they get their money. It's where they're best at. What they can't do is be reasonable about this team and be positive about this team. Two very easy to identify sets of people who are ragging on JMO. And to both those groups, I will just say, screw the lot of you. He is going to be fine. He is going to be fine. He has made some mistakes. Yeah, he has. But well, he's a big, he's a he's a big wide receiver. You're not going to win a Super Bowl with 53 angels. You've got to have someone who's got a bit of attitude to him. You've got to have someone who has a bit of ego to him. And unfortunately, in this era of Brad Holmes, people just seem to love angels. These hardworking guys who come in and defy the odds and stuff like that. Eh, 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 eh. 
Got to have some guys in here who come in and bring the swag, bring the stutter. He's going to be one of those guys. And everyone is terrified of when he gets good. One, because they can't moan about Detroit, or two, because they're going to be on the opposite end of it. I'm done with it. I am going to support J-Mo. And if he walks out in a few years and goes on to be a superstar and everyone starts complaining about this team, well, you've got no one but yourselves to blame for bringing him down. I'm going to support that dude every single day he's here unless he does something stupid. Like, really stupid. He will be just fine. God damn it, Ant. You broke our streak of not mentioning Marcus on the podcast. Marcus? Marcus Whitman, our favourite Packers fan. Uh, yes, screw, the lot, screw the lot of them. I do not care. This is a young man who is getting ripped to shreds. Why? What's he done? His suspension is a joke. We all know it's a joke. You know, guys beat their wives. Guys take performance-enhancing drugs. Actual crimes. Actual things that should be punishable. And they get less games than what he's got for pressing a button on his damn phone. We know it's a farce. It's no reason for us to give up on him. It's no reason for us to not back him. The guy is a future star. He's on our team. We should be grateful he's on our team and we should support him. 100% endorse that message. Let's move on to the next presser, which was Teddy Bridgewater on the same day. It was 14. He said, I'm excited. It's football season. I'm a little late though, right? I'm putting work with these guys. I'm just excited to be here with familiar faces and a talented roster and coaches. It feels right. He said, I'm going to wear the number 50. Yeah, it's preseason. You can wear whatever number you want, but we'll figure it out when we get to the regular season. So don't bank on him keeping it. Guys are aware of what we have here. He said, the way this team finished the season last year, the sense of urgency, you sense it from the players and the coaches as well around the league. He said about him coming late, that his wife gave birth to their second son. And so I was in no rush to go to an, any NFL team, to be honest. Uh, he said, I've heard about all the, the verbiage with the different systems I've been in. It's a little bit to learn, but the concepts are all familiar to me. He said, it's a great situation for me to come in and be a mentor to these guys, help them be pros, but also improve my own game. He said, I love the QB room. From Brew to JG, Martinez and Nate, JT and Hendon, it feels good to come into the facility every day. My spirit feels like it belongs here. He said that Dan Campbell's exactly the same as he was as a position coach. And he said, that's rare, man. Dan is fired up every day and I'm excited to be here. He was a selling point to be here, sure. But AG too, he remembers the day I torched him in practice, which I thought was, <laughs> was really funny. Uh, regarding Hendon, he said, I don't really watch football outside of being in the facility. He said, I, know, I knew who he was but I'm just getting to know him here. The way he attacks every day, I'm going to be a crutch for him if he ever needs me. He said, my entire life, I pay it forwards. He said, this won't last forever. So how can I make an impact? I'm going to pour it into the younger athletes on the team. It means a lot to me. So when you see J-Mo, he has unbelievable talent and I get to be a part of his journey. And it provides me with opportunities as well. So JG goes through, um, goes through it with these guys. The legs are burning with the ones and the rest of the guys are fighting for a spot on the roster. So with me, it gives them a chance to do live reps and go through the game script. I'm just trying to get myself ready for the game as well. And on JMO, I said he has unbelievable talent. I want to push him to those limits that he may never have been pushed to. It's tougher during practice when there are other guys and you've got to just get to the next play. Maybe you can have a word with him here or there, but otherwise you've got to get to the next rep. 
I just want to challenge him, make him a true power pro. After practice, I'm going to implement things with him that's going to make him hate me, but it will be a great thing for him and this organization. A long presser, lots to say, but my God, he's talking the talk. And it's everything that you've heard about Teddy in his previous stops, especially at the Saints. But even though his playing career in Miami wasn't exactly great, you heard it about him behind the scenes too, that he really went to town on trying to help these young boys. And we've got a lot of young players in this team. So having someone who really embraces the mentorship mentality is something that we've perhaps been lacking, especially in the quarterback room. Not because Goff doesn't do it, but it ain't his number one priority to mentor these guys. And he does it quite a lot, but he's there to win. Teddy's there to win, but his primary focus is going to be helping everyone else win because he ain't hopefully going to be seeing many reps. Yeah, very much. As you said, we heard it, but especially with the Saints where he'd always do the thing on Saturday, running through all the depth receivers, through the game plan. So if they call into action, they know what to do. We saw Tua's growth with him there. Like, remember the first season Tua was there, he was throwing inception. Like, God knows what. Teddy comes in as a backup and suddenly Tua throws less inceptions, less turnover worthy plays by PFF. That mentorship is, as you said, is what we need. Not only for Hendon coming through to have someone, as, he said, uh, as Teddy said, to be a crutch for him, help him learn how to be a professional quarterback, probably sit down, teach him how to read a defense and that because Hupel's one uh, one read system's not the most pro-ready as we've gone through many a time. With the receivers as well, him, uh, it wasn't just the receivers though, he was doing it, he was doing it with Jamar, with uh, Benny, with Divine Zigbo. He does it with everyone and that's kind of what we need. Like, Sudfeld might be a good clipboard holder in the meeting room, but this is one of the things that just sets Teddy above him is the fact he's willing to put in the grind after hours, help out the younger guys. And that's not really something we've heard with Nate. We've just heard, oh, yeah, he's good helping Jared break down the defence. Like, this is one of the things that just makes Teddy such an upgrade over Nate. Yeah, so you, got, you can't help but root for him. I think you already see that the quarterback room is a lot better off with him. I mean, I'm not going to read too much into the game the other day. <laughs> he's been here a few days. He's been on a line that can't block. He's working with a group of receivers he's never worked with before, and he still did reasonable in the situation. He still did better than Sudfeld, who's been here forever. So, yeah, I'm just excited to have him in the room. I think he'll be a, he'll be a steady veteran presence. He'll help the receivers. He'll help the young guys in there, and he can help us win most importantly. So, yeah, it was it was huge getting him. You know, even if, like I say, we don't need him this season. The, the reason we're going to win games, the reason we're a lot more stable this year, is because he's just in this room helping out. So, yeah, it's it's good to have him here, and you know, it'll be good to get him settled in as quick as possible. Hopefully, see a bit more of him on uh, Saturday. See uh, see how quick he's picking it up. But I would expect him to rather quickly, given everywhere he's been and what he's done. Moving on to Khalif. Same day. He said it means a lot in terms of his uh, re-signing. Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson's opinion, for them to trust me, it's huge. I didn't know it was coming, but I'm very thankful. My agent sorted it. He said he had a big birthday present for me. It helps me and my family out tremendously. He said, I've got to keep pushing my best foot forward for this team every day. I've got to earn that, that respect and that trust. So my biggest thing is how can I take care of my family, my wife, my future kids, 
That's the biggest thing for me. Why my wife, she's a better person than I am. Don't really know what in relation that was to, but it was nice to see him give her a shout out. He said, this organization, it's not like everywhere else. He said, we're in a group surrounded by great men and women. My prayers have been answered. On Maurice Alexander, he said, he's been, he's called hard time. He said, he's been back there, just listening, catching jugs. He's working. A lot of people don't know his story. He's working a different job. He's got a car from the USFL, falls out in the USFL, comes to the Lions, returns this punt. And the amount of work in between those two things is absolutely crazy. He works his tail off. He works so hard. There is a time at OTAs. He's so tired, throws up in the huddle, and then gets back out there and does another rep. I'm so happy for him. I hope he scores every time he touches the ball. I'm happy and I'm proud of him, but I'm not surprised by him given the effort he puts in. He said, we've got a bunch of gritty guys. It rubs off on all of us. You see this guy right here, pointing to Amarasen Brown. He said, every time I want to miss a day... He's there repping. He said he works so hard. If he doesn't miss a day, why can I? I can't miss a day either. And on goals, he said, my goal is in the preparation. Outside of that, no. If I prepare well, I know I'm going to do big things out there. He said, I just turn over every stone I can. It's the end of the August 14th stuff there, boys. And I mean, we're here. Well, we have an embarrassment of riches in terms of character. That's all I can say coming out of this particular day. But Khalif, I'm so happy for him, man. Like, he came to us off the scrap heap, much like some of the players that we've had here, not dissimilar to, say, Charles Harris. And he's coming here. And he's an absolute menace in these one-on-ones. You know, you hear it every single year that he's the hardest guy to cover apart from Amaras and Brown. That's the guy you don't want to go up against. You have a look at what he does on offense, what he does in terms of pump returning. Second best receiver last year in terms of production for the Lions. And now he gets paid like an all-pro pump returner. No, he gets paid like a bloody damn good offensive wide receiver. That's exactly what he's going to be for this team. And the reason he's got there is because his attitude is absolutely stellar. Yeah, 100%. Like, you probably could hear me quickly searching on Google to see if I can find stuff out about his wife. All I found was their wedding registry for a couple of the last month. So, congrats on getting married. It looks beautiful. I was looking through the wedding photos as you were talking. But, yeah, what I've, what I've, what can we say about him? I've already said it before. Like, PFF loves this guy, both loves and hates this guy at the same time because they say he's the Mahomes wide receiver separation, yet, Keep saying we need to improve our wide receiver core, make it make sense. But yeah, just absolute humble guy. And the sort of montage the lines put up of the clips of him at his press conference and him working and I'm around that bloody good motivation for when you need to go to the gym, just stick that on just before as you're getting changed and you're going to be fired up and you can do an extra couple of reps. It's works for me today. So. Thoughts on Khalif Ant? Yeah, he's, he's, he's in a good place at the minute. He's got his new contracts and he's got his place on the team now. Sort of, yeah, I'm just I'm just happy for him. He's a good guy. Hopefully he can go out there and, and really ball out for us this year because we need him to. And that's it at the end of the day. We've got a lot of character here, um, but the character needs to turn into winning. And hopefully he's going to be the one of the guys who, uh, who takes us over the edge in that regard. 
Moving on to Dan Campbell, August 16. He said, their skill positions there being the Jags will be a big test for us. Tight end will be a big challenge for us. And what they do schematically will be hard on our back seven. He said, our offensive line versus their defensive line will be an interesting matchup. They've got power, length, and speed on that line. He said, in terms of the joint practices, you get unbelievable work and intensity, and it's hard to duplicate it with just your own guys. It's just different. He said, going up against Josh Allen is going to bring something completely different to going up against Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker. On Tracy Walker, he said, I think he's done a good job. I don't think there's any deficiency with the injury. Physically, he looks really good. The communication is there. On Brian Branch, he said, communicating with his teammates, understanding how they all work, where they're at, where he needs to fit. He's got the instincts and the football side of it. The next progression is, where's Kirby at? Where's Alex at? And how that fits to you. The big picture comes in time, but he's taking off right now. On offensive tackle three, he said right now it's open. Nelson and Afedi are going back and forth. Nelson's repped well in camp, but Afedi had a really great game in preseason game one. And Eze has come a long way, but for him it's about consistency. But it's very much open and they're competing for that. When I'm running back some investment, he said, I don't see it that way. We went after the best players in the draft and Gibbs was one of the best in the draft. Aiden, same day, had a little bit to say. Last week was a good practice with ups and downs. Today, it was back and forth, but that's exactly what you want. The energy was up. On Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he said, he's one of a kind, but I'm glad he's on our team. Even today, he showed why we went and got him. That was after he forced two forced fumbles. He said, he had, uh, this is Aiden now, he said, I had my ankle injury and I've been sick for a couple of days, but I feel good today. On the Aquara brothers, obviously they had that really big game in preseason game one. He said that was special and they're really great guys. And he said, I think the sky's the limit for me. I haven't scratched the surface of my potential yet. And I'm just going to keep grinding and getting better every day. And rounding out this day, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson said, you can lead by example, lead by action. When you perform, you can talk as much crap as you want. On Brian Branch, he said he's a stud, he's a star, he's exceeding expectations, and his ceiling is the sky. He said, I like playing football in response to the question of whether he prefers playing nickelback or safety. And he said, I'm always talking unless I'm sleeping. Boys, Hutch, CJGJ, Dan Campbell, we had some stand-up, gritty guys the previous day that we just went through this was about swag and dan campbell aiden hutchinson and chauncey garner johnson absolutely brought it and it's hard not to have a smile on your face when they're at the podium it's also not it's hard to not have a smile on your face when cj gj's then stealing the security guard's bike and go around shouting bing bong f your life absolutely i i, I fall in love more and more with cj gj every single day like I love trash talkers. I love so today he replied to someone's tweet about the trash talking he did in the inside the den saying, Oh, yeah, you guys want more of this. We are 100 percent want more of the trash talking. It's absolutely hilarious. I know people didn't really get the sort of big bong thing, that's explain it, like this whole thing with New Jersey and Knicks fans. But it's just a funny meme, just him going around after talking, like playing well, talking to me, they're just going around going bing bong on a bicycle. Just for some reason it just really tickled me when I heard about it. And then with Aiden, we know he's got the art of that, the RAS score. I know we all have, like we're not the highest on it, but in terms of its usefulness, but Aiden's got a great Raz, eight and a half sacks last year, whatever he was, all this interceptions. If that's not if, if that's him not even scratching the surface potential, 
then God, he's got like the potential of the iceberg that took down the Titanic. Whatever that Titanic is, is probably hopefully going to be Kirk Cousins' massive contract with the Vikings. He's finally going to end that this season. Kirby got rid of Aaron Rodgers last season. Now Hutch is probably going to get rid of Cousins. It's going to be great to see. And thoughts on Hutch and, and CJ, GJ and, and Campbell in those presses? Not really anything that we've not heard already. I didn't really think there was much. You know, th- these interviews by this point, they're just it's kind of a lot of the same stuff you're hearing. So, yeah, it is what it is. I love the guys, I do, but... Yeah, I've heard CJ talk about Branch enough now. We know Branch is going to be special, and yeah. No, I, I didn't really take hope from these. All right, moving on to the next day, August 17th. This is the last one before the post-game presses, so Dan Campbell with a bit of a longer one on this particular day. He said, on injuries, I expect J-Mo to be out for the first six games. Cue laughter. Um, and Saint, he said it could be anywhere from being out until Monday to being out against Carolina. On Jamo, he said, as long as he stays on top of the mental side of it, you get a lot out of that and he'll keep progressing. There will be a setback with it, but you take it as it comes. I won't sweat it as long as he's willing to grind on the playbook. On the wide receiver market, he says, we are looking at the wide receiver market after today. Brad and I are going to talk about that. On Denzel Mims, who hadn't yet gone at this point, he said, well, he's in the room. And silence. And then he said, I wish I could give you more. Obviously, at that point, he knew that there had been a setback that no one else knew about. Mims was then cut, I think, later that day. Waved, I should say, not cut. So clearly knew something. And you can tell very painfully, obviously, when Dan Campbell does not want to say something because he does not try and bullshit anyone. He just clams up entirely it was uh it was telling it was really telling uh on injuries he said things happen our team has been great on soft tissue injuries it can just be bad luck it happens and it's unfortunate on expectations management for the team he said i said something on day one to the team and i've not spoken about it since i said then we've got to go earn it and the guys have been putting everything into it since so i've not had to address it because it hasn't been an issue on the wide receiver spots, he said he, we have one, potentially two open. These guys, they got to see that and compete. Kota, do you want it? Benson's coming back today. There's an opportunity for these guys. On Romeo, he said we've got lots of good guys in the room that you can't sit everyone in the preseason, but he's been doing some great things in camp and in the games that factors in. But so have Pascal and Charles Harris. It speaks to the depth that we have on the edge. On Hooker, he said, we've not even talked about Hooker coming off NFI yet. He's putting the work in in the classroom. Brew and JT have really put in the work with him, and he's got great guys to work from. He's coming on with the rehabbing, and once we hear from Fish that he's on his way, we'll discuss it. On leaning on Gibbs and Laporta earlier in the season, he said they'll have to be a part of it, but so will Demo. The offensive line will. Goff has to execute. Leaf, Reynolds, and Marvin, it's all hands on deck. We've got to play good defense and special teams too. That's how we relieve the burden offensively. The workload for them is about what we expected. We thought they would get it sooner rather than later, and in brackets, and that's why we drafted them. Gibbs is playing faster every day, but there are also some of those ah moments where they're getting challenged by different looks, especially from other teams, i.e. there's still some growing to be done there. Colby Sawstall, 
followed up and he says I'm playing left guard because he's done that now for two days. I think it comes hand in hand with having trust at right guard. It's cool being over there. It definitely feels different than the right side and there are growing pains. It feels unnatural and uncomfortable. He agreed with one of the uh, press reporters who suggested that other people have suggested it's like wiping your, your ass with your other hand. Ass. Anyway, um, <laughs> I get a lot of help, he said, from the vets, especially Glasgow, especially in the pre preseason uh, pre game. He's there coaching us up, and you saw that on the sideline for this most recent game. Glasgow is basically a coach out there. It was quite interesting to watch. Um, he said about Saul, he said, I was aware of Penne in high school. Yeah, because he was a savage. And then he revealed that they graduated high school the same year, which is kind of weird to me in my head, but it just shows you how young Saul is still. He said, I'm just trying to get better every day. There's always something to learn for me. I'm just trying to stack the days together. He said about preseason game one that that atmosphere was unbelievable for a preseason game and that Hank's emphasis for him is pad level. I could get away with it at William & Mary, but I'm not going to get away with it here and it's something I've got to constantly work on. And finally, Glasgow said, between centre and right guards, would I like to play more guard and camp? Yeah, but the interior offensive line positions are similar enough. He said, I think camp's gone really well. Of course, there are things to clean up, but generally it's promising. On Vita, he said he's a great guy. He's humble. He's funny. We went golfing a lot together on OCAs like once a week. I had a lot of fun with him. And Taylor, he revealed, is the uh, best golfer in the room. And he's got the tightest shorts on to show off the leg tattoos. He said Hank Freddy's an awesome coach and a funny guy to be around too. He's got great work ethic. He's the same guy every day. The consistency helps. He's come into his own in the organization. He said, I was with Teddy Bridgewater in Denver and he was really awesome there. I had a lot of positive energy. He's going to do some really good things here, especially for the young guys. And I think I'll do that. Uh, he did that in Denver and he'll do that here too, especially for the wide receivers. And on Sawstall, he said, he looks like he comes from Pittsburgh, which I'm not sure is a compliment, but you know, um, he said, he's a nice kid. He's young. He's coming on. There's some growing pains growing from the right-hand side of the line to the left. But he's doing his job. He's playing hard. It's all you can ask of him. That finishes up with August 17, boys, the next lot of uh, post-game presses. But I think that revealed a lot. You've not seen a lot of Glasgow and Sauls to win these presses so far. I know Ant was saying he doesn't get too much from these. But there was bits on injuries there on Hooker and not even talking about coming off NFI yet. There was jokes about, you know, JMO not coming off for the first six games like it really matters. But then you had stuff like Sorcel talking about going from right to left and all that sort of stuff and about being aware of Penny growing up. It's just little tidbits that kind of give you an inside look into how these guys think, how they train, their mentality, what they do. Because sometimes you just can't be manicured enough to fake this sort of interplay. So I've just been doing some Googling, as you said, about the... I'm latching on to the comments about uh, Sawsdall. So, yeah, he, he does come from Pittsburgh. The most famous person to come from this is suburb. A little guy that some people might have heard of called Kurt Angle. I don't know if he's that popular. You suck. <laughs> but, yeah, look at... like he, I, I see what he means. Like, it's sort of... I think it was a compliment. It's like a backhanding compliment in a way, because... Sawstall does look like someone that Eli like could beat the shit out of you if he wanted to, but at the same time, it's kind of soft. Like, obviously, we've heard in the uh, his post draft interview that like playing the guitar and that, 
completely fits with how it looks. Like I can see it, but great. Yeah. And in the inside then to seeing Glasgow sort of doing the coaching, but then saying, now nah, I don't want to be an NFL coach yet. Like I want to do a, um, high school coaching first. Like that's that schedule seems to be a fit better. And I was like sitting there and obviously we were discussing it on the game watch stream. I was like, Oh yeah, he's trying to follow the, um, uh, got uh, the Trent Dilfer sort of coaching path, high school for one year, then take over a college team and absolutely tank their stock. But so love Graham's was great. Colby, great as well. Would have loved to seen him and Penne on the sort of, like, sort of high school football field because if he was a beast back then, like shows now, because obviously they're about the same age. I think Colby's a year younger, roughly. But so like I think Penne was his two fat like early two thousand. Colby was late 2000. Would have been great to see, but yeah, just ever like, I loved it. I loved the offensive line. There's just personalities in that. Like, obviously, they're big, tough motherfuckers. But off the flight, when they're not smashing into other people, they seem to have really good personalities, laughing, joking around with each other. And it's what you want to see from teammates because it's really hard work doing what they do. But so it's nice to sort of see them have like a bit of personality off the field other than let's beat people up. Apparently, there's nine months between and Colby being nine months, eight days older. So, oh my god, yeah, there we go. And did you take much from from any of those Glasgow Salisbury? I've not really got much to add. So, Fair. Crack on. all right, talking about post game presses now, and it's tough to see Dan after a loss. It really is. Like the guy cares whether it's pre-season or not and he said it's tough to lose no matter what time of year it is and not in that way but to keep it in perspective it is about evaluation putting these guys in situations and we found out about some of these guys today he said on offensive struggles and evaluation he said it's tough we couldn't get in rhythm there was always one guy offensively that was messing up something we had a couple of protection issues id issues cutoffs on the backside second and long runs lots of drops on Houston, he said he showed up and did good stuff today. You can feel his presence out there. So on using first-teamers to better evaluate Nate and Teddy, and I'll say this for everyone who's asked in YouTube and Twitch, and if you're listening on the podcast right now, on using first-teamers, he said, no, I don't think so. There were enough players out there to be had to move the ball. We should have had five third-down conversions that we didn't finish on. It was just one of those days. I think we can all see where that's going for next week. I'd leave you to draw your own conclusions, though. Uh, he said, our defense really played and we had some good things early. They made some critical stops and played pretty good football for a while. He said, Brad and his crew are looking at everything and the other 31 squads as well. We're always evaluating. We are going to take both the positives and negatives from this game and we'll do what we can. On Stephen Gilmore, he said, those are the things you're looking for from a young player. You're going to get hit on a play. You're going to get a flag. You're going to get beat. That's about what happens next. If they're resilient, and that was encouraging the way he responded to the touchdown on him. On linebackers, he said, I really like that room. I love where it's going. We have a ton of confidence in all of those guys. They all bring something different, and they're all getting better every day. Derek and Jack especially, Rodrigo too, German Pittman. We've got a lot of depth there and a lot of versatility. On Campbell specifically, he said he got a lot of reps, game speed stuff, because he didn't get it with the ones in the joint practices. He was with the seconds. In um, indifference to that, Branch got 80 reps in uh, with the ones in joint practices. That's why he didn't play in the preseason game. 
On Teddy, he said, we only wanted to give him three series, but we spluttered so much that we had to keep him in longer because he just didn't have enough time out there. And in terms of yanking him with a two-minute offense just before the half, he said, we told him that that was basically his last series coming out. And then that series was done. And that's when Nate started. It just happened to be a two-minute drill. On Savion and Iffy, he said they could be down a little bit, maybe a long shot for the Carolina game. And on the Teddy Craig fumble handoff, he said that was not either one of them. That was on an offensive lineman. I will stop there before the three players who had minimal notes on. But Campbell was somewhat crestfallen after that because he knew that the Lions got somewhat humbled in that game. Yeah. Yeah. To put it briefly, we beat ourselves. So I know one of the fan accounts that they tweeted, oh yeah, who's the biggest threat to the Lions in FC North? I know Ant very rightly replied with a gif about the referees, but our biggest threat to ourselves is ourselves. We had, as he said, there was plays there to be had. We just didn't execute on offense. And that's the bad thing. Because, like That's the worst thing because the Jags did play really well, but there was definite plays to be had there and we just didn't execute. We just didn't make them and it ended how it did because of that. We beat up, we shot ourselves in the foot in a way. So yeah, it was hard to sort of see him after the game because he knew we, if we took a couple of those plays, if someone, if we didn't have that fumble, if the offensive line sees or picks up the blitz correctly, things could have been different. But we just didn't, and it's hard for it was hard for him to see because what can he really do about that other than tell him next time get it right. Yeah, he's just been very blunt, and I prefer him when he's blunt, because sometimes when he will refuse to maybe assign blame where he should in front, and, you know, I get, I get the reason why he does, but it seemed in that game he was pissed, like, very, and he made no bones about the fact that the players were out there, had their opportunities, and, and they blew them. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of players left this week, and we did a lot of tinkering around for that third game as, as a result of this, because it does sound like he felt like he was let down by people, and and, and he was. You know, <laughs> there were just basic fundamental mistakes a lot of the time, especially for like you can't do that in camp. This is this is your time time to shine now. You've got joint practices, you've got all this to get your act together, and then when you're on the field and you can't do it, it just shows that you're not going to be capable of doing it in the season. So he sounded annoyed and rightly so, and I think the hammer will have fallen down on a lot of people this week. Rightly so, again. Three players were interviewed post-game on the Lions YouTube channel. First one up was James Houston. Obviously, he had the four TFL one-sack performance, which was a big boon for him. He said, I've been learning a lot of lessons this preseason. The sand position, the technique, everything I said, I feel like I've taken a big step forward in this game. The reps and the experience is really helpful for me. I feel like that's what I need, and preseason is great for that. Nate Sudfeld was next. He said, the details perhaps just weren't there all around. A little flat with energy, a lot of flex, uh, fixable stuff. We've just got to put more drives together. In terms of when he started, he said, I was just on call for whenever and I was ready to go. He said on the first drive where he had the interception, I wish I'd done things differently on that dagger throw. Maybe just take some completions, some check downs, get that first down. Understanding the difference between end of half and end of game a good learning experience. And Stephen Gilmore, who obviously had a a couple of good plays, including the interception and a few PBUs, said, 
on the touchdown. That was definitely my welcome to the NFL moment. Got to put that behind me. On talking about how you respond from that, he said it's just about being mentally tough. You just got to move past it and make the next play. He said, they tried me a lot in this game. It was a great feeling to be tested. He said, I'm being a cornerback. He said, it happens. You just got to be ready for the next moment. I should have picked it, to be honest. Next time I'll make that play. On the game ball for getting the interception, he said, I kept the ball. Will Harris actually kept it for me. And shout out to my boy Tracy. He got the interception, really just popped it up to me. He said, I've been uh, putting good things on tape, getting better every day, focusing on every moment, getting in the right moments. He said, having a brother who played cornerback that long, it helps to build that resilience and learning from him and staying level-headed. In the NFL, they're good, man, and they will beat you. And you just got to respond. The tale of three very different uh, interviews there, boys. And just to lead off, Nate Sudfeld's one angered me, like really pissed me off. Like, I know he hasn't had much game reps and I know it's preseason. Don't come out with this bullshit about not understanding the end of half and end of game. I mean, it's preseason. Do you even care about the distinction at this point? Because if you do, you're an NFL quarterback. You should know this by now. You've been in the league six years, seven years, six years. I don't care. One of those two, you need to know this by now. And if you don't care because it's preseason, don't give the bullshit excuse. I'm sorry, but, oh, maybe I should have taken the checkdowns instead of going for it. Well, you seem to have been fairly good at taking checkdowns. Why? Why are you trying so hard? Like, I know you feel threatened by Teddy coming in, but like, Put your best foot forward. What can you do for us? Playing this way is not helping anyone. And, oh, we were a little bit of flat with energy. Oh, I'm sorry it's so hard for you. Like, pick yourself up, for God's sake. Sorry, I hate to be the down one once on this show. I waste all my positivity sometimes on Jamo saying he's going to get there, but I feel out of it with this guy. Like, just excuse after excuse was all BS. He's a robot. <laughs> he's a robot who comes out with sound bites. Oh, I need to get better. Oh, I need to... It's every cliche in the quarterback handbook. Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Next time I've got... To... It's like, shut up, Nate. You've been in this league long enough. And you're not ready to go. What it is, you're a rubbish quarterback who is not NFL good. That's what you are. And you've got no emotion. You've got no character. You are just a cliche-ridden, soundbite quarterback. Backup who is no good. You're done. You're but done. Think- and, and, if they, and if they give him reps week three, it's going to piss me off. Because Martinez has done better. And I don't give a about this. It should be Teddy and Martinez getting all the reps last week because Nate has not earned a goddamn thing here um, in what he's done. So bye-bye. Get rid. I hope he goes and give Martinez a chance. What is there to lose by giving Martinez more chance with next week? You know, Sudfeld is not it. It's been the same pick three times. The same type of throw. Same Mm. area of the field. Same inaccuracy issue that it's nowhere near the guy in question. I've no sympathy for him now. He's he's done. And if Campbell's serious about this, you've got to earn your way on the roster. You've got to earn your way to snaps. 
then he will take him out this week because Martinez did nothing in week one to earn a drop in snaps. That is against his principle. You've kind of got to put up or shut up when it comes to this earning snap stuff. Bye, Nate. I, You're done. I, I think the thing for me that really angers me about Nate is that you saw in the touchdown drive that you can push it down the field with accuracy and with timing, and he can elevate the players around him. It's not that he doesn't have the ability, it's that he does it one in every five drives, but the other three out of those four, he's putting the ball in harm's way and forcing it into interceptions, and the other, one of the other ways it just doesn't work and you punt it away. And I'm sorry, but you can have the arm. There's absolutely no doubt he's got a much better arm than Martinez. But Martinez makes smart decisions with the ball, doesn't try and do what he's not confident in, seems like he was pretty sure in himself about what he was able to achieve, and when he couldn't do anything, he tried to get it with his legs. Sudfeld kind of knows that it's about his arm and tries to force it, and it's like, you are shooting yourself in the foot. Like, you're he's clearly better than Adrian. With respect to Adrian, he is. But that's with his physical traits. His mental capacity is way behind because he's just so threatened by Teddy coming in, who is not getting re-signed next year. I don't think there's any way Teddy's sticking around. Like This is a one-year stopgap while Hendon's coming along. And he's so threatened by him. And it's like, but hang on a minute. Hendon's here. Why wasn't Sudfeld getting threatened when Hendon comes in? And it's like, this is going to be potentially our future starter. Why has Sudfeld changed from this guy who's doing great things in camp being butt hurt by another guy coming in. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he's not better than Martinez, I don't think. Because Martinez uses his head. Been a quarterback. No, that's what I'm saying. Using yeah. your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the best NFL QBs in history don't have big arms. Why? Because they've got a brain and they know where to put the ball and they know what they're doing with it. And with him, he's just boneheaded. He makes bad decisions. He's not good under pressure. He's not good when it comes to scrambling. I mean, Martinez was. He knows when to scramble. He knows when to drop and pass it. All these basic little things from an undrafted free agent who wasn't the greatest quarterback in college, let's be fair. And yet he's got a better grasp of the basics and he's got a better command of this offense than the vet does. So, you know, it's, you know, again, it's just sayonara. Done with him. You know, give Martinez the reps. Anything to add, Ash? Uh, not much. Just it's it's even worse than you thought. It's not six or seven years he's been in the league. It's eighth. He's entering his eighth season and still making these mistakes. And I completely get why the press conference annoyed you guys because motionless robot pumps out sound bites. Stuff maybe like I need to. We need to execute better. We need to go back to fundamentals. We need to coach better. Sound familiar, people? Is Nate Sudfeld the Matt Patricia of backup quarterbacks? I don't think yeah, he's like... that manner of arsehole. <laughs> I just think he's a bit robotic. Yeah. I am not putting them in the same sentence. Fair enough. It's just because there's the sound bites in that. You would, you would always yeah, have to yeah. the last. Patricia always it came up with the same bloody sound bites every single time. And it was it annoying. So I can it's just it's just a bit of deja vu. But to move it to more positive things. So happy for Houston. Obviously, didn't really get much snaps the first couple of weeks of the regular season last year. Absolutely, then gets called up and absolutely balls out. Now he's getting that consistency. 
and it's showing he's growing. And then Gilmore, just so happy for him. As you say, UDF, he's had his welcome to the NFL moment now getting beat. And he's already bounced back and he's improving. And it's nice. He, he I, We did say it in the sort of stream, Tracy should have got that ball, but at least he was like, Gilmore was like sort of nice enough to sort of congratulate the team rather than take all the glory for himself. Because I know some corners like Jalen Ramsey probably would. But for him to sort of say, yeah, Tracy should have got it, but I'm thankful I got it. I'm thankful for Will Harris for keeping the game ball for me. Unlike Chase Cota, who threw his touchdown ball into the crowd and is now asking for it back. If you watched uh, the interview by Danny Rogers with him and his cousin Brady in the locker room after. I'm just so happy for Gilly and for Houston to ball out. But yeah, Nate... I still predict he's going to be here because of that emergency QB free rule. But the good news is we don't have to have him active for that. He just has to be on 53. And then if stuff happens to Teddy and Goff, at least we know we have someone that has the system can make a couple of throws and stabilize us for a week. But after that, you need to, yeah, we need to be looking for other things. If Rourke, for example, if Rourke gets cut by the Jags or he's on their practice squad, I'd happily call him up before I'd put Nate Sufeld in the game. All right, that is the end of the press conferences, the news, the game recap. So, boys, we're coming to the end of our show here. Guys in the live chat, if you've got any questions, you know where we are, so get them in right now. Anything you boys want to get off your chest as we head towards cut-down day, which is just eight days away. Uh, not a lot. Unfortunately, I won't be here. I've already got plans, which is sad because it's one of my favourite days of the year because we all know what I'm like with roster stuff. That's what I enjoyed. And I suggest if you haven't seen it, go watch the VOD. Dan's podcast yesterday where he did his own 53 and practice squad uh, discussion. Great watch. Broke it down position by position. Gave his thoughts. Explained things. Happily took comments from me and Lost Oceans in the chat. If you because it's coming to that time, as you know, it's great just to even if you're just doing it and in the background while you work through it at the same time and come up with your own 53. It's a great listen and obviously support Dan as much as you can because he absolutely deserves it. I've got my I've I've had my moans today and I don't want to moan anymore. Season's nearly just around the corner, trying to look forward to that at this point. So I'm just it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to the um, cuts next week because it's going to be interesting to see who's on them. And they say with like nearly a thousand players getting released in a day, I think there could well be a situation where you get your 53. And it was like last year, you know, I think even six or seven of those might be gone not long after. You know, that 53 is not going to be set in stone very long the second people start getting cut. So it's intriguing. I mean, we've got so much, so many guys on the edge who could use who we thought were safe starters who maybe haven't done so well. Or it's it's interesting compared to last year when we pretty much knew the last two years, let's say, when we've pretty much known everybody who's going to be on there. There's been no competition whatsoever. Um, I just, yeah, it's just going to be fun. Kicker, the kicker one is going to be interesting to see who they have at kick. Because we did nothing from the kickers, like at all. It's like, it's, it's just a battle that I don't know. Are they waiting for courts? I don't know, but. Obviously, I hope it's Romo. I hope Romo gets the, it. The but... feeling is at the moment, I think that Patterson is slightly in front, but I don't think it's enough that it can't be overturned. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
you are probably expecting Patterson to win it. It's just that you'll be reluctantly disappointed. I mean, to be honest, I don't really care. This is just for the memes. <laughs> is this just for the memes for me to get Romo in the roster? That's my only. That's my only horse in this race. It's like I'm. I'm kind of just hoping that we don't have to rely on a kicker much next year. I want our team to be scoring plenty of touchdowns, not field goals. So. You know, as long as we've got someone serviceable who can bang it in from 30 yards every now and then where we need it, that's great. But, you know, just kind of want the offense to do the heavy lifting in that regard. So, hey, help. All right. So that's going to do it for us on the audio part of the show. We're going to continue this with some questions now coming in on YouTube and Twitch. If you're listening on the podcast, you want to hear us respond to some of the Q&A that's happening right now. Go and check us out on Rural of the Lions UK on YouTube and Twitch. Next episode on the College Show. And remind us what you're doing this week. Uh, we got loads of stuff on this week. So obviously it's week zero in college football at the weekend. Season starts. So we're doing all our season predictions. Who we think is going to be in all the championship games, the playoffs, then the players doing Heisman, all that sort of stuff. So that's going to be good fun. Me and Ryan are going to be releasing our Preseason teams of players to watch, like some of them are draft worthy, some from freshmen, etc. Just, just guys to keep an eye on. Just a few names to put out in the, uh, in the sphere there, and then we're also going to be previewing week zero as well. The seven games on, going to be fun. We get to see um, Caleb Williams this weekend, so yeah, going to be good fun. Otherwise, uh, no preseason game three live reaction shows. So this weekend we're taking on Carolina in Carolina. It happens to be. Friday night, but UK time, it's Saturday at 1am, and Saturday happens to be my girlfriend's birthday. So, not doing that to her. It's only pre-season, so apologies for that. Uh, Brent, I'll address that in just a second. Um, But there we go. So, pre-season game three review will come as part of training camp week five in review, which is this time next week, Monday, August 28th. And for those of you who enjoy our press conference rundowns, I will listen to them all, but I'm going to be very scant in the details. If there are any highlights, you're going to hear them. But if there's nothing to speak on, you're not going to hear about it because we're also going to do a little bit of 53-man roster work this time next week. And then the very next day will be cut-down day. So when that all comes out, we have penciled in a show. Whether it happens or not depends on scheduling for ourselves, but we are planning next Tuesday to have a 53-man roster cut-down day show, so check us out for that as well. Otherwise, I've told you our YouTube and Twitch, but otherwise Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Roar of the Lions UK. Can you call it Twitter anymore? Go ask X. No idea. Website, rotluk.com. Subscribe, please, and rate us five stars. We're a small little channel. And everything you do really makes a difference on our rating. Uh, Otherwise, stick there on YouTube and Twitch as we answer your questions. But for now on the audio show, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for tuning in. One-on-one of the preseason. But like the boys said, at least we don't have to hear about 2008 anymore. Let's go Lions One Pride. One Pride.